Hello, you guys. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. As you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the gruesome unsolved murders of the Dardeen family. 34 years ago, on the night of November 17th, 1987, the Dardeen family was brutally tortured and murdered. And to this day, the case has never been solved. I am so beyond interested to hear what you guys have to say about this one. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Now let's talk about who the Dardeen family was. You had Russell Keith Dardeen, who was 29 years old and went by his middle name, which was Keith. Keith was married to his wife, Ruby Elaine Dardeen, who was 30 years old, and she also went by her middle name, which was Elaine. Keith and Elaine had a two-year-old son named Peter, and they also had had a daughter that they were expecting on the way. Elaine was pregnant with their second child and the couple was absolutely thrilled and they were planning on naming their daughter Casey. Now, Keith was originally from a place called Mount Carmel, Illinois, and Elaine, on the other hand, grew up in a town called Albion, Illinois. And Albion is only about 20 minutes away from where the couple ended up settling down, which was in a place called Ina, Illinois. And in this small town of Ina, Illinois, life for the Dardines was pretty simple. Keith worked as a treatment plant operator and Elaine worked in an office supply store. In their free time, the Dardines played in the music ensemble at their local Baptist church. Keith played the lead vocals and Elaine played the piano. And all in all, this was a very loving family. We see this time and time again, but again, this is one of those families where no one had a single bad thing to say about them. They were a young, loving family trying to raise their kid and had another on the way. But let's dive in a little bit deeper as to where they lived for a minute. In 1990, so just about three years after the murder, Ina, Illinois had a population of about 486 people. So this was an extremely, extremely small town where everyone knew everyone. Ina had its local convenience store, its local gas station, all the necessities that it needed, and that was about it. But even though this town was extremely, extremely small, it was anything but quiet. Jefferson County, Illinois, at the time consisted of about 11 towns, one of those being Ina. And two years leading up to the murders of the Dardeen family, there was a total of about 15 homicides reported in Jefferson County alone. And that was only in the two years leading up to the Dardeen's murder. This included a 10-year-old girl getting raped and murdered in May of 1987, so just a couple months before the Dardeen murders. And just a couple years before that, a teenager named Thomas Odell had completely murdered his entire family. He killed his parents and his three siblings. So even though Ina was very small and very quaint, it was no stranger to horrific, horrific crimes. So that is the backstory of the family as we know it. And so with that being said, let's move on to what happened on November 18th, 1987. Now on this day, November 18th, Keith was scheduled to go into work and go to his job at the treatment plant. Keith typically never missed work. He was very punctual. He was very responsible. He always went to work on time. And if there was ever any problem, he always contacted his supervisor. So when Keith didn't show up to work on November 18th, his supervisor and his coworkers were extremely 
extremely thrown off by that. It was just extremely out of his character. And when he didn't show up for work, his supervisor decided to start calling his home phone, to which he received no answer. He called the phone multiple times and no one picked up. And after that, he decided to take a step further and called Keith's parents. Once the supervisor got on the phone with Keith's parents, he asked them if either of them had seen Keith or knew where he was, to which both of them were pretty confused as well. They were just as shocked as the supervisor was. They had no idea where Keith was, and it did honestly make them worry. So after they tried to reach Keith multiple times with no answer, Keith's father, a man named Don Dardine, decided to call the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department, and he asked the police to meet him at Keith's mobile home. That way he could give them the key to do a welfare check, which the police agreed to do. Once they got into the house, the police took the key and walked right inside, never expecting to walk in on what they saw. Once they walked inside the mobile home, authorities found Elaine, her two-year-old son, Peter, and their newborn daughter, all beaten to death, lying tucked in bed together. So let's walk through this crime scene for a second. So Elaine and her two-year-old son, Peter, were both found bound and gagged, and they had both been beaten to death with a baseball bat that Peter had gotten from Keith for his birthday that was just months prior. Elaine had been beaten so severely that she actually ended up going into labor and delivering her daughter. And to make this even more gruesome and terrifying, her newborn daughter was also beaten to death as well. This was an absolute absolutely terrifying scene for police to walk into, and whoever was responsible for this showed that clearly they were not in any rush to leave, considering the fact that they then staged Elaine, Peter, and the newborn daughter Casey's bodies, as well as they did try to clean up the place a little bit. They did a sloppy job, but nonetheless, the place wasn't in that much of a wreck. There were no valuables taken from the home either, but there was one thing missing from this home and that would be Keith. Keith was not found in his home with the rest of his family, which immediately led police to believe that Keith was the one responsible for this. And it makes sense. Police walk in on the crime scene, Keith's entire family's murdered, and Keith is nowhere to be found. It's not an outlandish belief to think that he could have possibly had something to do with this. So because of this initial belief, it led authorities to send out a manhunt looking for Keith. There was a team of armed police looking for him that actually went to his mother's house in Mount Carmel thinking that he was hiding there. They searched all throughout the surrounding areas and it wasn't until the following day on November 19th that his body was actually discovered in a wheat field close by the trailer south of the Franklin Jefferson County line. As far as Keith's injuries go, he had been shot three times in the head and his genitals had been cut off as well. Now Keith's car was actually discovered parked outside the police station in Benton, Illinois, which is just 11 miles south of the Dardine home and the interior of his car was splattered with blood. Now the condition that his car was found in led authorities to believe that Keith's murder or mutilation more than likely took place in his car and then his body was then disposed of in the wheat field where he was eventually discovered. Now an autopsy was performed on each member of the Dardine family. However, a medical examiner was unable to determine who was killed first in this. However, they were able to determine that all of the murders occurred within an hour to two hours of each other. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. 
Do you ever fantasize about who you'd be if you lived somewhere different? Maybe you'd surf if you lived by the beach. Or maybe if you lived in the city, you would live above a coffee shop and finally be able to write that novel you've always dreamed of. Or if you had a dishwasher, maybe you'd actually be able to start cooking and make a proper dinner at home. With over 1 million available units for rent on Apartments.com, the you abilities are endless. Apartments.com lets you narrow down exactly what you want and when you want it. And with their instant alert, you'll never miss out on seeing what could be your new perfect place. Apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place to live, whether that's an apartment, a townhome, or even a house. And they can help you find exactly what it is that you're looking for. Visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the Dark. <laughs> this is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. If you're like us here at Chilling Tales and enjoy feeling your stomach filling with dread as dastardly demons dance in your head, make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now to always be the first to enjoy the horror show. All right, you guys, welcome back. So let's talk about the investigation for a moment. So as the investigation began, police initially had no idea where to start here. The Jefferson County Sheriff's Department actually ended up teaming up with the Illinois State Police for this investigation. There were a total of 30 lead detectives working this case, and they were interviewing over 100 people. However, after each interview, they were not getting any closer to figuring out what happened to this family. There were a couple suspects in the beginning. There was one man that the police questioned that had a solid alibi that police ultimately let go. And another man that they questioned was actually one of Keith's co-workers who, after questioning a couple times, authorities realized he had absolutely nothing to do with it and he was also released. There wasn't any DNA evidence found left behind at the crime scene. However, authorities did find marijuana left in the mobile home and they didn't believe that that was belonging to the Dardines. They thought that that was more than likely belonging to the murderer. 
car. There were no drugs or alcohol found in any of the Dardeen systems, and Elaine was actually also found to be not sexually assaulted. The medical examiner concluded that at the time that their bodies were discovered, Elaine and Peter had been dead for about 12 hours, and Keith, on the other hand, had been dead anywhere from 24 to 36 hours. Authorities also found the staging of Elaine and her children's bodies to be very interesting. This killer took the time to tuck in Elaine and her two children after brutally beating them to death. This led authorities to believe that these killings more than likely took place at night because the killer or killers would have been less noticeable at this point. It's also important to note that there was no sign of forced entry in the home, and by the time that the authorities got to the mobile home, the back door was also open, so there was absolutely no sign of forced entry. And like I said, there were no valuables taken from the home either, even though there were valuables inside of it. Elaine had all of her jewelry in the home. They also had a VCR player and a CD player, things that if you were going in to rob a family, you would take, but nothing was taken. Now, as news of the murders circulated this town, remember, this is a very small town. People started to get extremely, extremely paranoid. Guns and security system sales all skyrocketed, and students would actually start waiting inside their schools for their parents to walk in and pick them up and then walk them back to their car. That way they wouldn't just be waiting outside in case something bad happened. One man who lived a half a mile away from the Dardeen home actually lost 14 pounds because he was so paranoid that this could happen to him. Now let's talk about motive for a second. So like I said, nothing was taken from the home. That rules out the motive of robbery. And after that, authorities thought it was possible that maybe Elaine or Keith was having an affair and this was an act of jealousy. However, after looking into both of their lives and really digging deep into their personal lives, authorities found nothing that led them to believe that Elaine or Keith was having any type of affair. According to the Franklin County coroner, he said, quote, I believe it was a very personal, deliberate thing, end quote, in reference to whether or not this was a random blitz attack or if this was something, again, more personal. Now, a detective named Mike Anthes said, quote, we have all the pieces of the puzzle. We just have to put them in the right order end quote. Now, due to the extremities of these murders, it is extremely hard to believe that this was a random blitz attack. And again, I go back to the fact that Elaine and her children's bodies were tucked in bed together. They were staged like that. And oftentimes we see when someone is staged after their murder, it's either a sign of the killer feeling somewhat remorseful and wanting to kind of put their bodies to rest in a respectful way, even though they just did the most horrific things to them. And it also connects to a more personal feeling. You wouldn't feel any sort of quote-unquote remorse if this was someone you didn't have any type of personal connection with. It also makes you wonder if Keith was the main target because he was killed outside of the home. Why take the extra effort to remove Keith from the situation and murder him instead of just killing all of them in the same place? Was it because Keith was the main target and then whoever was responsible decided that they had to get rid of the witnesses and that's why they didn't dispose of their body and such a gruesome way? Or was it the opposite and Elaine and her children were the target? But you have to remember, Keith was mutilated. He was brutally mutilated. Whoever was responsible for this took the extra step to do that. So why? Some people believe that the motive could be that Elaine was being seeked out by someone. Someone really liked her and she rejected their advances, which eventually led this person to not only kill the entire family, but to mutilate Keith. That would give some sort of signal or signify that he was not man enough for her. 
Now this brings us to a man named Tommy Lynn Sells. Tommy Lynn Sells was an American serial killer born on June 28th, 1964 in Oakland, California, and he died on April 3rd, 2014 in Huntsville, Texas after being executed by a lethal injection. Tommy was arrested after he slashed the throats of 13-year-old Kaylin Harris and 10-year-old Crystal Searles. Now, Crystal luckily actually ended up surviving this attack and she was able to help police track down Tommy. And after his arrest, Tommy confessed to countless more murders, not just the ones that he was arrested for. Tommy confessed to up to 70 different unsolved murders, one being the Dardine homicides. Now, when it came to his confession, Tommy said that he wasn't able to remember all of the details of the killing. And he said that his lack of memory was due to the fact that it was his coping mechanism from being sexually assaulted as a child. In the mid 1980s, Tommy was living about 90 miles northwest of Jefferson County in St. Louis, Missouri. And he was making money by working at traveling carnivals and fairs. And he was really a free spirit doing his own thing. He was never locked down to one place. He was traveling from city to city and he was never in the same place for a very long time. Tommy said that in early November 1987, he had met Keith at a truck stop near Mount Vernon. But then he changes his story because when he's asked again, he then changes it to he didn't meet Keith at a truck stop. He actually met Keith at a pool hall, which essentially, if you are unfamiliar, is just a bar that has pool tables. Now, despite how he says he met Keith, he then goes on to say that Keith had invited him over for dinner. And after he ate dinner, Tommy said that his plan was to go on his merry way and go to the next city. However, Tommy said that Keith had other plans. According to Tommy, Keith had asked him if he would be interested in having a threesome with him and his pregnant wife, Elaine. According to Tommy, he said when he got asked this question by Keith, it triggered something in him that sparked an outrageous, uncontrollable rage, and he ended up completely annihilating the entire family. Tommy said he drove Keith at gunpoint to the wheat field where his body was found and killed him there. And then he said he then went back to the trailer to murder Elaine and Peter because they were witnesses to this and he couldn't leave any witnesses behind. A direct quote from Tommy is, quote, I was just so pissed off that I took it to the maximum limit. Rage don't have a stop button, end quote. So that was the first version of Tommy's story, but then a new version came out. In Tommy's second or third version of this story, however you want to view it, he then says that this whole threesome scenario never happened. It was never brought up. Keith never mentioned anything of it, and that was not what sparked this in him. Tommy said the real story of what happened is he was walking by Keith's trailer, and he saw that Keith's trailer had a for sale sign on it because remember, they were planning on moving back to Mount Carmel to be in a safer environment. Tommy said he saw the for sale sign on the Dardines trailer and he decided that he was going to take the opportunity to kill. After Tommy had consumed a couple beers, he then said he went to Keith's home and knocked on the door and told Keith that he was interested in purchasing his mobile home. Tommy said that Keith then let him into his house, which is when he then overpowered Keith and forced Keith to gag and tie up his wife and his two-year-old son. Tommy told Keith that he convinced Keith that he would let 
his wife and son live if he drove in the car with him, if Keith drove in the car with him, which Keith agreed to do. And that's when Tommy said he drove Keith to where his body was eventually found and murdered him on that site. After murdering Keith, he said he then drove back to the trailer and murdered the rest of the family. And he also said he then raped Elaine. And as we know, there was absolutely no sign of any sexual assault when their bodies were discovered. And you also have to remember, I want to remind you again how protective Keith was of his family at this point. There was actually an instance before the murder where a woman had knocked on Keith's door and asked to use his house phone to make a phone call and Keith refused to let her to do that because he was so worried about the crime in his community that he didn't want to take any chances. So is it really that likely that Keith would open the door at a man who was clearly drinking at night saying that he wanted to buy his trailer? It just doesn't seem that in line with his character when you look at his past behavior. Now, Tommy has never been charged with these murders. However, he has been the main suspect throughout the entire investigation. But it's also important to say that most of the details that Tommy let police know during his questioning were details that had all been reported to the public already. And when authorities would question him on details that weren't in the media, Tommy didn't really have that much knowledge and he wasn't as reliable. When authorities first asked Tommy how Elaine's body was found, he actually said it was found in a completely different way than it was actually discovered at first. And then once he realized he was wrong, he then said how it was actually found, which was correct. However, some people believe that that was simply a lucky guess. Another direct quote from Tommy is, quote, I know people got their doubts. They say there's no physical evidence tying me to Dardines, but there wasn't any because they weren't looking for me. I moved. I was a transient, end quote. Like I said, Tommy was always constantly moving. He never stayed in the same place for too long, so he wouldn't be someone that authorities would look at initially. At the time that Tommy was executed, he was linked to 22 more murders. However, the Dardines murders were never one of them. So he was a terrible, terrible serial killer who committed countless crimes. However, he has never been officially linked to the Dardeen murder. And family and friends of the Dardines not only say that they believe that it's unlikely that Keith opened the door to Tommy at night, but they also say that they believe that this idea of a possible threesome, as Tommy first stated, is absolutely out of the question and not something that Keith would have ever, ever been interested in. According to Keith's mother, Joanne, she said, quote, I wanted Tommy to stay alive until I knew positively he didn't do it. The things he said do not match up with what I know about Keith. A lot of people think it's done and over with, but to me, it's not, end quote. Now, personally, I have a hard time believing that Tommy did this. We see it all the time. Serial killers take credit for other people's murders. I think that if he did do this, I don't think he acted alone. I think the idea that this was a one-person job is very unlikely. To take on an entire family by yourself is extremely difficult. And I also don't think it's likely that if Tommy tied up Elaine and Peter, left them in the trailer, drove 11 miles to where Keith's body was eventually found, and drove back 
and they still were in the exact same spot alive, I find it hard to believe that they wouldn't try to either escape or get help, which is why I believe that someone else might have been there with them, an accomplice, whether that's to Tommy or to someone completely different. I also think that it's very strange that Keith's car was discovered outside of a police station. To me, that detail isn't looked into enough and it's not questioned enough. I have a hard time believing that that was a coincidence. I personally wonder if there was some sort of significance to them leaving the car at the police station. You have to be in an absolute fit of rage to not only beat a pregnant woman, but to beat her so badly that she ends up delivering her daughter and then beat the newborn daughter to death as well as beat a two-year-old to death. That to me is as personal as it gets, which is why I also have a hard time believing that Tommy just picked this family and did the most gruesome, brutal murder that one could possibly imagine on them for no reason. I also want to say the murder weapon of Keith, the gun that was used to kill Keith, has to this day never been discovered, or at least it has never been disclosed to the public that it has been discovered. All right, you guys, that is the end of this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Please email all your thoughts, questions, theories, to killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at killerinstinctpodcast on Instagram. If you're new here, again, hi, my name is Savannah. I make episodes every single Wednesday and you are not gonna wanna miss it. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. I'll be back next week with a brand new case. And until then, stay safe. Tax day is coming. Oh no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.